Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It is time for another episode of A Call Away. Madam Giardino, broadcaster for the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, AAA affiliate of the New York Yankees. We're deep into the offseason for minor league baseball, and that means we are just scratching the surface of postseason baseball for the New York Yankees, and it has been a fun start, certainly, for New York. This podcast, just as always, has an extra special bent on the minor league system, and despite no minor league action for the last couple of weeks, we continue our tour around the minor league system. Last week, we had a chance to chat with John Moses, the voice of the AA Trenton Thunder, who captured their fourth Eastern League title in mid-September. And this week, it's on to Nick Flamia, the voice of the Tampa Tarpons, the high A affiliate of the Yankees. It has been eight seasons for Nick in the Florida State League with the Tampa Tarpons. He's seen Well, he's seen them go from the Tampa Yankees to the Tampa Tarpons. That's how long he's been around. Nick is a born and raised Florida guy. He grew up about an hour outside of Tampa. He went to college, matriculated at University of South Florida, based in Tampa. So for Nick, the formative years of his life have certainly been spent in the greater Tampa Bay area, and he's having a blast calling games for the Tampa Tarpons. We talked to Nick about a bevy of things, but we really begin for him with with the way that his season ended. Obviously, for John Moses and the Trenton Thunder, it was a a fun way to end the 2019 campaign with a bunch of champagne bottles popping all over the place and getting sized for your championship rings. For Nick, it had a different feel the way things ended. With Hurricane Dorian breathing down their necks, the league had no choice but to shutter the last few days of the regular season, cancel the postseason for everyone's safety to make sure that everyone was going to be all right, And that's not totally uncommon in the Florida State League. So we talked to him about that. We run up and down the list of prospects on that team, whether it be Clark Schmidt, Esteban Florial, Leonardo Molina, and even one of the surprise guys in the system this season who's now on plenty of radars, and that's Miguel Iahuri. But where we begin with Nick Flamia is a general overview and his takeaway from the 2019 season. This season, obviously, is a year, Nick, that uh, it it didn't end up in the postseason for the team. And actually, even if it had, it wouldn't really matter based on the way that things wrapped up in the Florida State League with the hurricane blowing through late in the year. But by and large, how would you uh, assess what you saw on the field in 2019? One thing stood out more than anything were the amount of rehab assignments we had. (laughs) Yeah, We had a lot of big league talent on the field, uh, beginning with C.C. Sabathia in our opening series, the traditional four-game series, the Tampa Tarpons facing the Lakeland Flying Tigers, and then that finale on Sunday, it was really cool to have C.C. there, and he pitched really well. And then he, of course, followed with a lot of offensive talent, Stanton, Andujar, Tulewitzki. That was one thing that stood out. That was, um, of course, uh, a lot of pitching talent. And I know uh, you spoke with John Moses prior to me, and he touched on Miguel Yahuri, and he saw him with a cup of coffee at the end, but I had you hurry here the whole season, and he was really impressive. So those two things stood out to me. When you talk about rehabs and how there was a larger number for you this year, was that something that you guys knew going in, that the Yankees were going to utilize their Florida facility a little bit more for those big league rehabbers? It's always somewhat expected because we have the minor league complex across the street from us, and 
And when the players do get hurt, they tend to fly here to Tampa, do their rehab, and it's just convenient for them to just come across the street and start their rehab assignments. So over my years here with Tampa, I've gone through so many rehabbers, and I think it's just out of convenience. And seeing how many injuries occurred early on and throughout the season, I kind of expected, yeah, that we would see quite a bit of these guys. This year, obviously, it was a year where the injury bug was so prevalent up in the big leagues with the Yankees setting the big league record for most players on the injured list. That had a direct trickle-down effect to Triple A Scranton Wilkesbury, where not only when our guys got hurt, but we had to deal with sending guys up a lot to New York. What was the health situation of your roster? Were you guys dealing with injuries on your roster a lot this year? For our guys, yeah, there was quite a bit of roster moves involving injuries. A lot of the pitchers, I know like Clark Schmidt was placed, I believe, two or three times on the I.L. And then uh, there was a handful of guys. Diego Castillo was on the list for a bit. It definitely wasn't a outshining the, the Yankees <laughs> IL list, but uh, but we had our share of IL stints too, but it was always a benefit for these rehabbers to come down and hang with our players, and I guess sometimes if we had guys on the shelf, we had these rehabbers coming in and filling in for them. <laughs> for the guys that were down there, you mentioned CC Sabathia. He's a guy that no matter who you've talked to, whatever teammate, even opponents up in the big leagues, they say what a great guy he is. Were you able to see him kind of in his element, working with some of the younger guys as a mentor in his short time there? I didn't quite do that myself, although I did speak to several of the players, and uh, I know they did get a chance to pick his brain, and uh, it's always cool to have someone like that, a you know, future Hall of Famer in the clubhouse amongst these young guys, and they get a chance to pick his brain. And just being in the presence of a guy like that, DC, and of course he said in spring training would be his final year, so... Him beginning his final year with his first start being with the Tampa Tarpons, it was kind of weird doing that, but it's always a benefit for these players to have a guy like that here. One of the frustrating names on rehab uh, was certainly Miguel Andujar, where coming off of the season he had last year, Yankee fans were incredibly hopeful for what he could accomplish. It's interesting that he would rehab with you guys with the three games. He went three for ten with a home run before ultimately getting shut down. It's interesting, I would imagine that dynamic is a little different because by and large, Andujar was not a big prospect in the lower levels of the minors and then even up through Charleston. He didn't burst onto the scene until he got to you a few years back with Tampa. Did it feel like he never left when you walked into the clubhouse one day and just sort of saw him sitting there? Yeah, it's funny you say that because you're right. He wasn't a a big prospect when he was originally with us. He uh, He was with us for parts of two seasons, and that first season, I didn't think much of him, honestly, myself. But then that next season he was with us originally uh he really picked things up and he was a grinder he figured out what he was doing wrong and the average rose and then he could start seeing okay this guy could be a prospect and of course he then had the you know nearly rookie of the year season with the yankees and i think after that happened you know he comes back on a rehab assignment and yeah you see him in the clubhouse and i had seen him in the clubhouse years before so it's a friendly face but it did feel a little different yeah it's not i didn't think that he never left. I did think that the players we currently had did look up to him now that they saw the success he had. And I think it's a great example of how quickly you can move from the Tampa Tarpons to the New York Yankees like he did. And I think it kind of maybe uh, helped the guys out there and seeing a guy that was just with Tampa a couple of years before, and all of a sudden he almost won the Rookie of the Year. 
Before we dive into your roster, you already mentioned Miguel Yahuri, somebody that I'll certainly want to ask you about and plenty of offensive guys as well. But I'm curious, as someone who's never worked in the Florida State League uh, myself, I'm curious what it's like showing up to work on a daily basis from your perspective, but from the player's perspective as well, weather-wise, just because at the end of the year, talked about how the hurricane knocked out the Florida State League postseason. That's not totally unprecedented. That seems to happen every handful of years that 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 or something like that happens in the start of hurricane season. But you guys deal with so much rain so often. What is the mental gymnastics like that you guys have to go through in order to pretend that you're getting ready for a game at 7 o'clock when it's absolutely downpouring from early afternoon and almost till game time? Weather is just so hard to predict here in Florida. I, I don't envy the weathermen here. Uh, <laughs> that's just a tough job. And, yeah, it could be raining for uh, – we do our 6-3 games during the week, and it could be pouring down rain at, like, 12.30, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and we could still be playing under bright sunshine, you know, three hours later. So it's tough to predict whether it's just a, a short rain stint or uh, it's going to be downpouring throughout the night. I think more often than not, we do get those shorter stints, and we just kind of have to dodge bullets. You know, during those those rainy seasons, the rainy season, it, it's like uh, we go to work and uh, we roll in there, and it's just kind of a coin flip if we're going to play or not. And uh, this year was tough. I think we had 10 postponements, about, I don't know, 20, 25 rain delays at some point. It's tough to bear. It, it's really unpredictable. I know the players definitely look forward to uh, moving up and uh, – you know, trying their best to move up to, to avoid the Florida State League because that is a problem. And you see, of course, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Miami Marlins, they both have dome stadiums, and I don't know what they would do without those. We talk about the postseason getting totally washed out by the hurricane. Uh, even the Rail Riders playoff was affected by that, where down in Durham, North Carolina, they had to deal with the hurricane as well. When we Look at that and the way that the season ended so abruptly for you guys. Was was that a little surreal, just sort of waking up one day and being told, well, there are no more games being played this year? Because even, I think, the last couple of games of the regular season were washed out as well. That's right, yeah. And uh, we played our last home game, and we were in a playoff push. We were only a couple of games out. Mm-hmm. Our last home game was a doubleheader on August 25th against Lakeland. And we still had a four-game series in Jupiter on the docket and then three more games in Lakeland. We played those first three games in Jupiter, and then um, I was fully planning on getting over to Lakeland to call the games for the final series of the season, and I get a call from, you know, our higher-ups, and just out of nowhere, it seems that we would be canceling not only the postseason, but that final series, and uh, it's tough. I know their thought behind it is the safety of everybody. It, It makes it tougher, though when you realize that the hurricane veered away from us and we didn't get hit at all. That goes back to what I was saying. It's so tough to predict. One uh, one you know, weather service is saying we're going to get nailed by this hurricane. It turns out it makes the right turn, and we could have played anyway. Now, I don't know about the, again, the West Coast, the uh, East Coast teams here in Florida. They might have got a, a, some rain from the hurricane veering away, but we didn't get touched by it. But it's just, again, so tough, tough to predict, and it was tough to swallow that we had to cancel those last, four games of the regular season and not play a postseason. Well, it's time to dive right into the rosters, and you you gave us a guy that wasn't quite on the radar to start the season, but boy, is he ever right now, and that's starting pitcher Miguel Yahuri, and what a what a season he had from out of nowhere, it seems like. Yeah, Yahuri 
boy, you, you see the roster coming into this season. You have names like Clark Schmidt, Davey Garcia, Glenn Otto. Those are three names that are on top prospect list. Then you have this guy, Miguel Yahuri, who's also in the rotation. And he's coming off Tommy John surgery. Yeah, I didn't think, the must, didn't think much of him. Uh, and all of a sudden, he turns out to be the best starting pitcher on this roster. Uh, of course, Davey didn't last too long. He made four starts with us and moved up. Uh, Clark Schmidt, I mentioned, he had some injury issues. Yahuri was the most consistent of them all. He outperformed them all, just 21 years old. He's a soft-spoken guy, but he is a diligent worker, and he added a few pitches to his repertoire. He's working with Jose Rosado, who's a fantastic pitching coach, and Yahuri, just looking at the numbers, he was ridiculous in June. He had a .33 ERA in 27 and a third. He allowed just one earned run. That was the turning point there, and all of a sudden, he's leading the league in ERA and top five in strikeouts, and now you're finally telling yourself, okay, you have to keep an eye on this kid, and sure enough, he got the call to Trenton in late August, and I can only imagine where he'll go next year. If he stays on this path, I'm guessing he'll be ending up with you guys soon enough. Yeah, it certainly seems like he's a guy that's wasting no time, no matter what level he's at, that a switch flipped, and all of a sudden he's rocketing his way up the system. It's interesting to me that their names that you described, and Davey Garcia, Clark Schmidt, a different name you mentioned that even on our Scranton broadcast, we talk about the minor league system night in and night out, and we really did not talk a lot about Glenn Otto. So what is there to know about him? In 2018, he only pitched, I believe, one or two games. He had a blood clot in his, in his uh, I believe, shoulder and he had to get that surgically repaired, and they shut him down. So he was coming off of that. I didn't have much to go off from the 2018 season. He's a 6'5 right-hander at a right, throws hard, 240 pounds. He also had some injury issues this year. Besides the, the two IL stints, and when he was on, he showed excellent signs. He actually started our last game of the year in Jupiter and went five and a third. He was, uh, that might have been one of his most impressive starts down the stretch, and he ended up going to the Arizona Fall League to continue working. So I think he's going to be hopefully making up for lost time uh, at the Arizona Fall League. So the guy that Yankee fans would certainly be aware of on the radar in terms of pitchers, Clark Schmidt, and we, if you listen to last week's episode, you would have heard John Moses talk about him and what he saw in his last couple of starts at the end of the year, but you got to see... 13 appearances from Schmidt over 60 innings, and what did you see from the former first-rounder? Well, he had a heck of a debut. He started opening day for us in Lakeland, and he was dueling with Casey Mize. And on April 4th, it was just a ridiculous showing between Mize and Schmidt. Schmidt, five innings, no hits, no walk, nine strikeouts. This is the guy that I I would think is the one I would be talking about the most of the season, not your hurry. But he had a couple of hiccups. It uh, wasn't as dominant as that April 4th showing. Of course, I do see signs in why the Yankees invested in him, despite they knowingly needing a, needing surgery. The guy uh, has a five-pitch mix, a bulldog on the mound. He's a competitor, and he definitely uh, deserved that call up to Trenton after that. Uh, August 5th, he threw seven scoreless innings at Lakeland again. He just seems, seems to just terrorize the Flying Tigers when he's in the Florida State League. Is there any bullpen arm that Yankee fans can be excited about that you got to see a whole bunch down at Tampa this year? Early on, we saw Brooks Christie. He mm. wasn't here along for us, but he was the guy that moved up pretty quickly. He was an all-star. 
Christy, uh, an older guy, he's 25, but he was very dominant and moved up to Trenton very quickly. Brayden Bristow's a guy out of Louisiana Tech following the Philip Deal line. Bristow was very impressive for us. I would keep an eye on him, the right-hander. Now we'll switch over to the offensive side of things, and we talked about all the big league rehabbers, so let's not revisit all of that. But in terms of guys that seem to have that big league pedigree, I think we need to look no further than a guy that had injuries during spring training, a big injury uh, during big league spring training, got to you and played 74 games. The numbers, if I'm somebody that's never seen Estevan Florial, the top prospect in the system, I look at that 237 average, handful of homers, only nine stolen bases. I'm a little concerned. How concerned should Yankee fans be about the numbers that he put up this year? Another guy that had got bit by the injury bug a couple of times. Mm. The Yankee fans watching him during spring training this past March, he was outstanding. All of a sudden, he breaks his wrist, and he's out for a couple of months. He comes back to us in June. We get a homer off of Santana, who was with the St. Lucie Mets in his first game back. But it took him a while to get going. Gloria. But the kid has superb speed. He flies and is a solid hitter. Uh, Floreal also with that power to right field. That would make a great bat for Yankee Stadium. I think one day if he does make it up to New York. That's the thing. If he didn't have that injury with the Yankees outfield injuries all year, you had to think that if he wasn't injured, he would have had a shot at making it to New York this year if he wasn't uh, bitten by that bug. But Real is still only 21 years old, and I think the Yankee fans should still keep an eye on Florial. Don't give up on him yet. He just needs to put together a solid, healthy season, and hopefully that'll come next year. There's another guy that Yankee fans shouldn't give up on, and I don't necessarily know if he's been on the radar enough for them to give up on him, but a guy that was signed out of the Dominican Republic with so much praise and really has been quiet in the early part of his career and that's Leonardo Molina and 42 games played similar numbers to Florial what were your impressions of him yeah he's a guy who signed back in 2013 he was a highly padded prospect but again like you said he was slow to get going I saw him back in early July and uh, another guy I didn't quite see him put together consistent at bat he showed signs of being a, a solid hitter and he was our number nine bat and put up 17 RBI in 42 games. So he was a solid number nine hitter for us. I don't know if I would put him in the same category as Floreal by any means, but Molina, a 22-year-old, coming off of an injury, he was with the River Dogs to begin the season. I believe it was a foot injury for Molina. But again, another guy that has had some inconsistent playing time and is going to be looking for a healthy season next year. And so from a couple of guys in Molina and Florial that the numbers weren't great for them this year, but the Florida State League, people should remember, is a pitcher-dominant league. But one of the guys that showed up late and seemed to have a pretty interesting impact and in seeming to open eyes up and down the system is a 27th-round pick, a switch hitter, and Mickey Gasper from not a baseball pedigree. He's from New Hampshire. He went to school at Bryant in Rhode Island, so... You know, just a cold weather baseball player, uh, not necessarily a guy that was on too many radars to fall to the 27th round. And yet here he is, his first full season out of school, and he batted over 300 for you guys at the end of the year in about 20 games. So does does that seem for real? You know, it's funny. Uh, Mickey Gass, he's a great he's a character, man. I love Mickey. He's a switch hitting catcher 
but he didn't really catch too many games for us. I think he was catching more for the River Dogs. He joined us and was more so joining us for a first base fill-in because we had uh, Dermis Garcia get hurt. And Dermis was our starting first baseman, but Mickey helped us out when he joined us. And he wasn't just helping out as first base. He was swinging the bat. 23-year-old, uh, I believe he had a grand slam his first week with us. I think it is for real. Yeah, Mickey, uh, like you said, a 27th round pick, but he's really making himself known. And of course, he has a great name to be in the Yankee system, Mickey. <laughs> I'm going to leave with this last question, and this is the one that everybody would be listening to the podcast for. You're a University of South Florida graduate. I'm a University of Connecticut graduate, and I currently do sideline reporting for UConn football. So when people hear this, the game will have already happened. We're recording this before Saturday's matchup. So if, you're, uh, if your prediction is wrong, people listening to this will already know about it. What are you feeling for this weekend's game between the Bulls and the Huskies? Okay. Or the final score, you want a final score? Yeah, or just maybe a margin of victory. It's a ten and a half point spread, I think. I'll say the Bulls by by seven. And okay. if you want to go into specifics, I'll say I'll say twenty seven twenty. He gets twenty seven twenty as the final score. Forty eight twenty two. South Florida came out on top, picking up their first win against an FBS opponent in ten tries since the last time that they faced off against UConn a season ago. Enough on college football, and that was enough on minor league baseball, I think, for the week as well. Next week, the plan is to have Matt Dean of the Charleston River Dogs, a single-A affiliate of the New York Yankees, join us as we continue our gallivanting tour around the Yankees minor league system. I'm Adam Giardino. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Adam Giardino, G-I-A-R-D-I-N-O. And you can follow Nick Flamia on Twitter as well. He's at Nick Flamia. F-L-A-M-M-I-A. A big thanks to all of you for tuning in this week. We will talk to you again next week right here on A Call Away.